This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Hi, uh, I'm Keith Nabb, and welcome to our STEM series. We're going to have uh, three talks uh, this fall, and STEM, if you don't know, stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. And today we're delighted to have Michael Murphy. He is a uh, structural engineer, uh, LEED certified, right, at Thornton Tomasetti. And so he's going to talk a lot about engineering, but uh, more about how uh, you'll see engineering in almost every facet of life. And so we're, uh, we're so delighted to have uh, Mike here, and he's going to talk probably for about 40 to 45 minutes. And then there will be time at the end to ask him some questions, maybe get his card, get his information. Uh, so you guys can do a little bit of networking. So I'll stop talking, um, and let's give a warm welcome to Michael Murphy. Oh, former Marine Valley student, of course, yes. Thank you, Keith. Can everybody hear me in the back? All right, great. This microphone is new to me. Normally I just shout and people tell me to be quiet, but we'll, we'll proceed with it. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's an honor to be here to talk to you today. My name is Michael Murphy, and I'm an engineer with Thornton Tomasetti in Chicago. Today I will talk about my profession, engineering, focusing on four keywords, who, what, how, and why. First, I want to talk a little bit about who I am uh, and what I do uh, as a profession and what my company does. Then I will focus on the three critical questions uh, for today's lecture. What is structural engineering? How does a structural engineer perform his or her job? And most importantly, why would one consider engineering as a profession? I see all of you out there who are interested in STEM, math, science, physics, and I see this almost as a recruiting opportunity for me to attract you to a great uh, profession called structural engineering and to show you how rewarding it can be. So who am I? Uh, my name is Michael Murphy, as I said and Keith said. Uh, I was born and raised in Evergreen Park, graduated from Evergreen Park High School in 2005. Do we have any Evergreen Parkers out there? All right. EP High School, too? Nice. Uh, I then went on to the University of Illinois, uh, where I studied uh, architecture. I got a Bachelor of Science in Architectural Studies in 2009 and a Master of Architecture uh, with a Structural Focus in 2012. Uh, it's an interesting degree, the structural focus, because it allows me to be both an architect and structural engineer. Uh, between undergrad and graduate school, I came here to get more math experience. Uh, that's where I met Keith Nab. I had him for Calc 3. I also took differential equations in linear algebra. And that really st started to connect the dots for me from what I learned in high school, what I learned in architectural school, to move me on into a career in engineering. Uh, I, spent a, I spent a good year here, learned a lot, uh, some great teachers, also Kevin O'Connell, who's a French teacher, and Ewan Gall, who's a, a good friend of mine who teaches physical education. Uh, I have three brothers, Jason, Sean, and my twin brother, Matt. Uh, Jason's a CPA, Sean is a CPA, an accountant, and he investigates fraud, and Matt is an actuary. So we all have an extensive math background and uh, we're really into numbers. I'm also a proud uncle of five crazy, rambunctious kids. 
All right, so who is Thornton Tomasetti? Uh, Thornton Tomasetti is an international uh, design uh, engineering consultant firm with 58 years of excellence. Uh, there are over 800 employees across the world. In the 1960s, the firm was founded by a man named uh, Lev Zetlin. Dr. Zetlin uh, was known as a pretty radical engineer and inventor. He invented the, uh, the bicycle wheel uh, spoke roof system, which is pretty much a big bicycle wheel that is used on a lot of arenas and concert halls. Uh, You'd seen that pretty much anywhere you go when you see a sporting event, uh, Madison Square Garden being uh, one of the first examples. Dr. Zetlin hired these two guys when they were much younger, uh, Charlie uh, Thornton and Richard Tomasetti. I'm honored to have uh, met both of them multiple times. It's rare to meet the people that your company is named after, but uh, I feel blessed that I have had that opportunity. Uh, they started as a 10-person firm in New York City. And over the past few decades, they've grown that uh, to over 800 people. Uh, it's a great place to work, and there's no problem too big for them or for me to accomplish. Because if I don't know something in a large firm like that, the answer is just a short walk away or a phone call with someone who's had the same experience or can help me out. Uh, we focus on a lot of different kinds of structures. I'm going to take you through a brief introduction of some of those. Uh, the Building Structures Group. Uh, does new buildings uh, exclusively. They, they do super tall structures, lawn span structures, sports arenas and airports, uh, and specialty structures. The group that I worked with, the building performance is separated into two groups that I'll talk about later, renewal and forensics. We also do building skins, uh, structural skins, uh, energy efficient skins for existing and new buildings. Uh, property loss consulting is a big one. Uh, it's really taken off with uh, so many of the catastrophic events we've had recently, Sandy, Katrina. Uh, that group goes in after hurricanes, tornadoes, even acts of terrorism or war to uh, put a price and a scope on the damage so that the owners of the properties can recoup their, their damages. Uh, our last two groups are construction support services. Uh, this is an interesting one. Most structural engineers don't get into this field. Uh, engineers typically design a building and then a contractor will build it. With this group, we actually assist the contractor and produce the steel and concrete materials that will go into building the structure. It takes on a lot of risk, but it can speed up a project to a great deal, and I'll talk about that later when I talk about our soldier field uh, adaptive reuse. And building sustainability is a great new uh, field for us. We look into sustainable strategies, lead consulting, and energy and daylighting to make efficient uh, and comfortable buildings. We have 26 offices across the globe. Uh, we send people all over the place. I have uh, two co-workers who just got back from a year and a half in New Zealand looking at the, uh, the earthquakes down there, and they just got married. So they met in school, they started working together, went down to New Zealand came back and got married this summer. Uh, for a long time, Thornton Thomas Study was known as the premier designers of super tall structures. Uh, we are still known for that, but our other groups are taking off at a great rate. Uh, we're not just known as super tall uh, building engineers anymore, but we have built some of the world's tallest buildings. Uh, we're building Kingdom Tower right now. They're doing the foundations for that in Saudi Arabia. 
It's going to be bigger than the Burj Khalifa, which you may have seen Tom Cruise jump off of in, in uh, mission, one of the Mission Impossibles. Uh, it's going to be 3,200 plus feet tall. That's going to be more than double the height of the Sears Tower. Uh, I don't do this stuff. I work on existing buildings, which I find more challenging and definitely way cooler. But uh, and super tall, is just for your knowledge, isn't just a, a catchphrase that I came up with. It's an actual uh, term in the industry for buildings over 300 meters or approximately 980 feet. But the group that I work with is Building Performance uh, and focuses on forensics and renewal. The way to uh, understand this is we work on existing buildings. Whenever we have a new project that comes in, a brand new building, the building structural group will take that. When an existing building comes in that needs to be renovated, changed, or partially torn down and added to, that's where we put our expertise. Forensics focuses on investigations, and they'll often serve as expert uh, witnesses for collapses or other uh, construction failures. The renewal group uh, works on the addition, subtraction, or enhancement of any structure. Uh, and one of the big things that's really come forth recently is re, uh, adaptive reuse projects where you take an existing, perhaps abandoned structure and turn it into a new building for society to use. I love working on existing buildings. It's much more challenging, like I said, than with brand new buildings. Uh, when you're working on an existing building, it's already up. You have to figure out what you can and can't do to it. You can't just take an eraser and erase a problem. You have to deal with it. So it's very exciting and fun. So what is structural engineering? Uh, here's a human skeleton. I've always been told of the analogy of uh, the human body. The analogy goes that if a building were a human body, uh, the structural engineer would, would uh, design the bones, the skeleton of the system. I guess the mechanical engineer would do the lungs and the respiratory system, and uh, perhaps the electrical engineer would design uh, the nervous system. Uh, this is a stupid analogy. Please like, disregard it completely. It's a very old way of thinking, uh, and it's, it's very outdated. Today, structural engineers are involved with every aspect of a building, not just the columns and beams and floor. Uh, our experience and our problem-solving are a great addition to any design team. And we do much more than just design a structure that gets hidden by, by architectural finishes. So structural engineering goes back as far as the Egyptian empire uh, 4,500 years ago. Uh, and this guy here is Imhotep. He's known as the first structural engineer and first architect as well as first uh, doctor as well. I guess when you didn't have as many people, you had a really uh, diversify your, your background, but that is not an actual size image of him. He is, uh, it's a little statuette. Uh, he built the step pyramid there uh, in Egypt. And within 100 years, they went from a single tier system of structures to building a step pyramid. And then by the end of the 100 year period, they had built the Great Pyramid, which was the tallest structure for, I think, 3,500 years or something like that. Uh, so structural engineering is a very progressive field. We constantly are adding on to it from what we, what we learned from our predecessors. And I think uh, the ancient Egyptian engineers are a great example of that. What is structural engineering? Uh, it's a professional field, uh, which means that states grant licenses 
uh, to professional engineers, PEs, and SEs. Uh, it means to get a license, you uh, fulfill a certain amount of educational requirements, uh, work experience, and you pass an exam. Uh, for a structural engineer in Illinois, you have to pass two eight-hour exams on a Friday and a Saturday. It's, I can't think of any testing system out there that is more rigorous or difficult. Uh, because of that, society holds us to high esteem. They know that our, the engineers that we grant licenses to uh, are capable and more than adequate at doing their jobs. Uh, the National Council of Structural Engineering Association says that the NCSEA serves to advance the practice of structural engineering and as the autonomous national voice for practicing structural engineers to protect the public's right to safe, sustainable, and cost-effective buildings, bridges, and other structures. So the public's interest is at our primary concern. Uh, the safety of the people who occupy our buildings is of critical importance. But this little mission statement ignores a lot more. What about art? What about beauty? What about structural creativity? Those things all matter too. And the more advanced we get, the more people want to see expressive structures. People want to see buildings that change lives. So don't just think about it as we protect uh, the public welfare. We also improve life, improve the built environment, and improve the world around you. Structural engineers serve as part of a team. Uh, here's, here's a structural engineer working with a high school student. Uh, from our, he's with our office. This is the ACE program, which outreaches to uh, communities to build future architects, engineers, and contractors. But what structural engineering really is, is material and geometry. Yes, an understanding of physics and mechanics and calculus is at its core. But what it all boils down to is material and geometry. And for that, I'd like to do a little demonstration that my favorite architect, Frank Lloyd Wright, used to do. Uh, if I want to get this piece of paper, this material, to span from this side to this side uh, without supporting it on one side, it won't do it on its own. No matter how often I do this, it will not just span across without falling over. Does anyone have any suggestions on what I can do to this to make it span? Yes. And fold it. All right. So we're talking about material and geometry. Uh, that would not be changing the material, but it would be changing the geometry. So right here is an example of what you talked about. Uh, in structural engineering, we would call this a folded plate. And you can see that when I release one side, it does, it does span. And I did that without changing the material at all. I just changed how it was configured, its geometry. I could have changed the material, made a piece of steel that would have, that would have accomplished that. I could have changed it to a piece of wood. But I just changed the geometry. And if you can master those two things, material and geometry, you can be a great engineer, along with a bunch of other equations, too, that, that help out. But that's what books are for. So how does a structural engineer do his job? With this, I'm going to look at a few case studies. The first is the adaptive reuse of soldier field. A lot of you are probably too young to remember this, but this was a pretty controversial uh, project when it happened. Uh, a lot of people didn't want to see a new building put in. Some people said it looked like a spaceship landed within an existing building. I think it looks pretty cool. Uh, at the time, I, I don't think I liked it very much as a high school student, but 
it's really phenomenal, uh, the engineering behind this. Uh, what is even more phenomenal is that this was done in a 20-month period. All the design and construction was done in a short period to, ma to make sure that the Bears only missed one season at Soldier Field. It was said to be impossible. People said you wouldn't be able to do it, uh, but Thornton Tomasetti uh, took on additional roles that structural engineers typically don't do. Like I said before, normally we just design a building. We'll design the columns, the floors, the beams, the enclosure system, but then we'll send those drawings out and a contractor will interpret them and build them. And they'll ask us questions along the way. But what we had to do to make sure that we met the time frame was not only design the building, but then design everything down to the last bolt, give them a three-dimensional model, and say, here, build it. And as you can see, this thing was detailed to the, to the nth degree. That's a rendering on your right and the real structure on your left. Every bolt is accounted for, every piece of steel uh, is there. It's pretty remarkable. You wouldn't have been able to do this 25 years ago. Uh, this completely changed how buildings are delivered. Uh, it took out months of back and forth questions between the engineer and architects with the contractor, and it really uh, sped things up, which I guess just is making my job more difficult, but it's also making projects uh, quicker, more constructible, and cheaper because of less delays and errors. I think it's a pretty beautiful structure. Uh, what's even more amazing is the, is the software, how you can uh, detail something down to the very last nut and bolt and have it turn out exactly how you want it without many errors in the field. Here's some from some, some other projects that we've worked on recently. So yeah, you get to play with computers as a structural engineer. It's not all crunching out numbers and math. I like the math more than the computers, but if you're good at both of them, you can, you can do great work. Uh, so the big idea here is what would you rather review? We hand over a physical model in, or a computer model that the contractor can explore, compare against architectural models, compare against mechanical models, see if a beam interferes with a duct or with a pipe, and we can figure out all these problems before they try to build it in the field. It's a lot easier than the old way of doing things where you're looking at paper drawings that are two-dimensional. It's a lot quicker, too. Uh, the next project I wanted to talk about is the I-35 bridge collapse. Again, you guys were probably a little young for this. I, I remember I, I might have been in high school during this. Uh, and I didn't work on this, obviously. Uh, but it is a great example of the work that we do. And a lot of the other projects of failures that we've done more recently haven't been released for us to talk about yet, so I think this is a great one. Uh, yeah, the project is located, like I said, in Minneapolis. Uh, basically what it boils down to is uh, a design or construction error. Uh, this yellow object here is a gusset plate. A gusset plate connects different members, structural members, at a node. Uh, it was undersized back when it was uh, built in the 1960s. It was only a half inch thick. Uh, the calculations show that it should have been a little bit thicker than that. We went through 50,000 documents, conducted a detailed analysis of the entire structure, uh, and built a structural model as well as uh, reenacting uh, footage through animations. 
Here's a clip from our model. Here's a finite element uh, analysis of the gusset plate showing stress concentrations. Uh, red being where the most stress is, blue being where the least amount. And you can use this to replicate the, uh, the failure and then check first the existing structure and the remains of, uh, of the failure afterwards to prove your conclusions. Uh, I wonder if I can figure out how to play this video. Somebody told me how to do this before, and so far, so good. It takes one second. Uh, we were able to animate... There we go. We were able to animate uh, the structural collapse. Oh, no. There we go. And compare it to actual footage of traffic uh, cameras out there to make sure that all of our conclusions and assumptions were correct. So we'll just do one clip. This is a computer model that we put the loads in, we put all the material properties, and then reconstructed the, the bridge to see if our conclusions were accurate. Get this. Bam. See, you learn how to use PowerPoint uh, when you go to structural engineering school. Hopefully the monitor catches up with us, but uh, this is very useful information. Before, I don't know how they would have done this, how they would have been able to go into a courtroom and prove uh, their, oh wait, hold on, prove their analysis and assumptions without this kind of uh, advanced analytics. So what we have here is on the right, we have actual footage clips from the failure, and on the left are still images from our structural uh, model and failure. And as you can see, we were able to compare them by taking stills from each of the, each of the videos and being able to conclude uh, what failed and how it failed and why. Basically what happened was when they designed this, they didn't take temperature change into account, which on steel members, whether it's cold or whether it's hot, can make it shrink or expand. When a, when a steel member expands against another steel member, there's, it introduces a force that the designers did not think about. Furthermore, as I said, they underdesigned the uh, gusset plate. Uh, another problem was that over its 40 or 50 year life, they added two inches of concrete uh, when they repaved it without removing any. So that increased the dead load of the structure by about 20%. And then to further uh, complicate things, they were about to start a construction project and they had concentrated loads of about 600,000 pounds waiting for the contractors to go out there and do it. They had vehicles, concrete, and sand all piled up in a very uh, susceptible to failure position. Uh, it turns out that even though the building was exposed for 60 years and rust was noted on several inspections, that had very little to do with it. It was really the high concentration of load and the small gusset plate. Now you might say, well, how come it stood up for 40 years without falling down? Uh, an old professor of mine used to say, buildings and bridges inherently don't want to fall down. So sometimes they will just stay up because of habit. But it's not just by luck. When we design a structure, we take in safety factors. We increase our dead load by 20%. We also increase our live load by 
the other side of the coin is not only the loads, but the capacity. We, under, we underscore our capacity by multiplying it by a factor that lowers it. So we raise the loads that we had spent, and we lower the capacity that we had spent. And because of this, this bridge was able to stand even though it was under design. That's why the safety factors exist. However, by adding the extra concrete over the years and adding all the materials for construction and then having a lot of people coming home from work, the bridge failed. Uh, the next project is a pretty fun one. It's a luxury car showroom. Uh, this is what the building looked like before we worked on it. Uh, would any of you like to buy a German automobile from, from this place? I, I probably wouldn't. This is in downtown Chicago in the Gold Coast. Uh, it's a pretty bad-looking building. This is what we did to it. Uh, a lot of that was load-bearing walls and columns. We were able to put, insert steel to remove a lot of the wall, bring in a lot of light. We put a new metal panel uh, enclosure system on it. We also had to tear out interior-bearing walls and insert steel to support the floors and put in mechanical units on top, which required additional structural elements on the roof. And now that building is a really nice one to walk by. It doesn't look like, you know, the ratty building that it was before. And people go there all the time and buy nice Audis. Uh, the next one was uh, we were involved with the U-boat relocation. Uh, the U-boat was captured uh, during World War II. It was a huge uh, hindrance to the American effort. A lot of people were killed during uh, the war because of it. And it was sitting for years in Lake Michigan, uh, just sitting there rusting and corroding. Uh, they built a new underground facility for this that some of you may have been to. I took my nieces and nephews there last year. And it's really remarkable. They had to lift this structure that weighs more than three, uh, three Statue of Liberties and is almost a city block long and move it to uh, its new uh, position. So the... As I said, it was just sitting outside here for many years. Uh, and we oversaw the move of this uh, massive uh, boat into its new structure. And they put it up on these hydraulic dollies and rotated and pivoted around and took it up down the street, put it sideways to its new building, and slid it down four stories without damaging it or without dropping it. Uh, we were the structural peer reviewers, and we made sure that all the, uh, all the members they were using uh, and the final resting for it was adequate. And they were able to move this without any problem. It took two days to move the whole, the whole boat. And this video is a little bit longer, so we'll watch it later uh, after questions if any of you are interested. Or uh, you can just find the link on the museum's website. Here's what, it, what the final resting place looks like. It's a great uh, facility, and I encourage you all to uh, go visit it. Uh, this next project is uh, one of my favorites. It's, I, I have worked on this one. Uh, it's been going on for a little over a year, and it's with famous Japanese architect Tato Ando. When I was in architecture school, everyone followed this guy. This is the guy that we looked up to for many of our projects. And then two years after I graduate, or a year and a half after I graduate, I got the opportunity to work with his firm. Uh, so the building on the left is the building that we were working on. It's a four-story masonry apartment building 
The building on the right was an Ando-designed house. He built it in 1993. It was his first project uh, in the United States. The owner owns both of them. So the owner bought the, the brick building to put in his new private art gallery. He's got a lot of art. He was running out of space. So we were asked to come in here and insert a new structure to house all of his art. So it went from a four-story four uh, apartment building to a three-story art gallery, but there was a catch. We couldn't lose any of the walls. If we demolished any of the walls, we'd have to tear down the whole building uh, and start new because this building was grandfathered in. It comes up to almost the sidewalk and the alley and the property lines on all sides. And if he built a new building, he would have had to have followed current day zoning requirements, which require a parking lot, which would have taken up half the site. He also would have not been able to build it as tall as it currently is because of zoning. So he would have been left with a much smaller building, and it would have been a huge waste of his investment. So I made a little animation here uh, with my structural engineering capabilities on PowerPoint. Uh, this is the masonry wall and a couple stories of the floor framing. Uh, it would go up another two stories. And the trouble is uh, that th these walls span L distance. Uh, in the apartment building, it was about eight and a half, nine feet. Uh, if you were to start, oh, also there's a P force in there. P is an axial force. It's the weight of the wall and the floor system that imposes on it. If you were to remove one of the floors, you would now change that unbraced length from L to 2L and potentially put in an instability, lose the wall and the rest of the structure down to the last brick. So how do you insert a new structure when an existing one is already there? And what do you do to make sure that you don't lose the wall and and blow the whole investment that the owner has put into the building. It's all based on simple uh, mathematics. This is Euler's buckling equation. I know it looks like Euler, but it's Euler. Uh, and basically it states that P, which is the buckling force, is equal to pi squared times E, which is a material property strength. It's the modulus of elasticity. Uh, I, the cross-sectional properties of the material, known as the moment of inertia. Uh, and you divide that by K, which is a constant, which, re, uh, which has to do with the end conditions, and L, uh, the unbraced length. If you notice, you are squaring the unbraced length in the denominator. So if you take L and you turn that into 2L and then square it, now you have 4 in the denominator. So you're cutting your load that the, that the structure can take by down to 25% of its original capacity. And when you do this, you're at great risk to lose the wall and the rest of the structure. When we met with the architect on site, my boss noticed that the new plan called for column lines uh, 22 feet uh, space down the center of the building. Those red dash lines were the existing uh, load-bearing structure. So he saw this as an opportunity to insert new steel columns prior to removing anything building your, your floor system off of that, grabbing onto the wall, and then removing everything within. So basically how that goes is you would go install a new foundation, put in your new steel column, put in your, uh, 
your floor. Remove uh, the existing structure. Remove uh, the load-bearing wall on the interior and the, fo uh, the foundation. This would be mirrored on the other side. And now you have a new structure at a taller height that can accommodate the new loads that a, uh, that a art gallery imposes, which are much higher than a uh, residential building. And your new unbrace length is another L. So the architect was able to go back to Japan, and he created this sketch, which pretty much summed up everything that we had uh, told him. Uh, like I said, you put in your new columns in step two. You put in your new floor systems. Step four, you remove the existing structure, and then you put a new roof on top. Here's just some drawings of that uh, a coworker of mine had done. Uh, my project manager did these. We still use hand sketching. This was a very informative way to tell the contractors how they could do this without uh, having the building collapse around them. This is a structural model that I had built. Uh, this designed the concrete floors and uh, the concrete beams of the building. Uh, what we did was we brought in our expertise as engineers of how to build this building. Uh, we worked with the architect to see their goal out, and without us as a collaborative partner, they may not have been able to accomplish this. They knew what they wanted, but they didn't know how to, how to get there. And that's where our engineering expertise came in to help them. So why should you be a structural engineer? I see structural engineers as dreamers. True, some of them are naysayers. No, you can't do this. No, that's impossible. But what I have learned from my coworkers is that anything is possible. Uh, the builders of the Pantheons of the Pantheon were dreamers. Uh, the people who built the Great Pyramid were dreamers. Uh, Fazlar Khan, who we saw up there, who constructed the Sears Tower and the John Hancock, was the greatest structural engineer of all time. And he changed how buildings were built uh, from, from his life forward. Uh, this guy here is Ken Maschke. He's one of my mentors at TT. Uh, we just wanted a project for, for the adaptive reuse of this building at the University of Chicago. Ken is the ultimate dreamer. Uh, nothing is too big. There's no challenge that we cannot accomplish. And I'm honored to work with people like Ken every day because we inspire each other to be able to do things that other people think are impossible. So you may have seen the advertisement for this uh, presentation. And on there, I put a quote from the structural engineer, uh, Peter Rice. Uh, the role of an engineer is to imagine. Peter Rice, uh, it was said of him that he was perhaps the James Joyce of structural engineering. His poetic invention, his ability to turn accepted ideas on their head, and his rigorous mathematical and philosophical logic made him one of the most sought-after engineers of our time. Unfortunately, Peter Rice uh, died at the early age of 57, but his impact on the built world is still known today. Uh, he's left an outstanding legacy on uh, some of the work that he's done. Does anyone know what this building is? There you go. Awesome. I was worried. People might not know what it was. It's one of the most recognizable uh, buildings in the world, and it's constantly rated as one of the most beloved. On the right here is a sketch of the Sydney Opera House uh, by architect uh, Jorn Utzon. Uh, this sketch and others like it 
are what won him the international design competition uh, for this project, much to the chagrin of more established architects because he was generally unknown. On your left is a picture of Peter Rice and Jeffrey Booth uh, with their sketches. I personally prefer their sketches. Uh, there's a certain beauty to the mathematics and calculations up on the board next to uh, shapes and, and drawings. But uh, there's, there's a similarity bet between these two things. There's a creative uh, example of an architect's early sketch, and then there's the inventive version of an engineer trying to figure out how to make that dream a reality. Uh, these wave-like structures could be easily constructed, Peter Rice said, if they were cut from the same geometry, if they were cut from a sphere. So he used as his model one sphere and took these segments and cut them so that they could be, one, easily constructed, and two, uh, put together at a regular geometry. As you can see up here on the upper left uh, is the spherical uh, structure with its regular pattern of concrete structure uh, in both directions. And then on top of that is laid these precast uh, panels to enclose the building. Without the combination of the architect and structural engineer, this building would not have been able to be realized. And if it was, it would have taken years and years and way more expense. Uh, than it would have without Peter Rice's uh, understanding of math and, and his knowledge of computers. He was only 28 when he led this project. Uh, some other images up here are load tests. They built scale models because this was a revolutionary structure. They had to test it with, uh, with actual loads. Uh, and it was a pretty impressive undertaking, which is why it's still remembered today. Engineers are dreamers. We are children with vast imaginations. So we're going to play one more video. I always want to create like, new machines or um, new weapons, but like, I've never really been good at math. Um, what would you recommend for someone in my situation? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Uh, I, was, I was always pretty good at math, but, you know, I know a lot of coworkers who struggled with it. Uh, depending on what engineering you go into, uh, depends on the amount of math really necessary. Like I said, structural engineering, uh, it, you need to have an understanding of how things work and how forces behave and how to calculate things. But it's very codified. And as long as you know how to manipulate uh, the different uh, equations, that one of them that I presented, and you have an understanding for it, you don't need to be a mathematician to be a good engineer. Uh, engineering is also a combination of a lot of things, not just math. Engineering is, uh, like, I sh like I showed, uh, creativity, it's art, it's physics, it's constructability, and it's math. And if you're weak in one subject but strong in another, you can be very good. Some of the best engineers that I know uh, weren't great math people, but they had an extensive building background before they started, so they were very practical and they understand how things fit together. Uh, you can do equations all day, and if your building doesn't actually, if you can't construct it, you're not a good engineer. So it's not all math. It's important, but you can make up for it with hard work, I think, and studying. Good question.
Other questions? What caused you to uh, pick structural engineering over similar ones such as civil or mechanical? That's a good point. Uh, I have an interesting background with that because I started with, archi with uh, architecture. Uh, and I, I still will be a licensed architect uh, next year, but my focus is in structural engineering. Uh, I would challenge that structural engineering is not like the other engineering uh, fields. Uh, civil engineering, you know, they work on, on bridges and, you know, embankments and re retention ponds and things of that nature, very large projects. Uh, and those can be very rewarding, but structural engineering from talking with the older people at my office, people who have been in the field a long time, it's a very rewarding profession to be able to take your family to a building that you worked on or to walk under a canopy that you calculated out. Uh, I have friends who are mechanical and electrical engineers, and other than the light fixtures and the, you know, the heating ducts, you don't really see their work at all. You don't experience it. it doesn't, for me, it doesn't change how I feel on a daily basis, except for maybe a level of comfort if I'm not too hot or too cold in this space. But structural engineering and architecture, why I went into those is because they could change someone's life. A well-built building can make a student learn at a higher level. Uh, they can retain more information. They could go on and become something, you know, slightly higher than what they would have been in an underperforming building. Uh, and anyone who's traveled to Europe and seen some of those great structures, when you walk into uh, the Colosseum or, for me, the Pantheon, and just have, like, a life-changing moment where you just are awe-inspired by what's in front of you, very few fields have that. Other questions? Hi, Ella Abumhamid. My question is, uh, you say that you are um, your major your bachelor degree in, uh, in architecture architecture yep. and uh, your master degree in uh, structural right yep. uh, um, structural focus yeah. master of architecture yeah as a civil engineer who graduated from uh, who graduate overseas uh, i really want to know uh, what the what the difficulties that face you when you study a different like a different uh, program for sure, yeah. Yeah, and what, what's your advice to me? To, uh, what's the best program for me or to, to restudy the civil engineering again or to, to continue my, my study, like to get a master degree or to find a job or, you know? Yeah, well, we're seeing, especially with the contraction mm -hmm. of the economy, uh, the more education you have, the better. Uh, what you used to be able to do with a bachelor's degree, you now might need a master's for uh, I call it an inflation of education, something that I think has just been the cause of not only the economy, but things getting more complicated in, in the industries. Uh, but that being said, I think a diverse background is good. Uh, I struggle at work sometimes because I come from the architectural side. Uh, I don't have all the theoretical math-based uh, classes that maybe a civil engineer would have. But that's why I took that extra year here and took Calc 3 with, with Keith, and I took differential equations and linear algebra. I took those on my own to kind of supplement what I missed from structural engineering school. Uh, but then again, what I, what I maybe lacked from some of my peers from the theoretical, from the uh, analytical standpoint, I make up because I understand buildings from an architectural standpoint. 
so I can converse with architects uh, very easily because I, I am one. So I think a uh, background in civil engineering, you could really do anything with that. Uh, I tell my niece Maggie, who's a 12-year-old hockey player, she's a very bright math student, and I always encourage her. I say, keep, keep working towards that. If you're good at math, if you're good at science, you can do anything. Uh, you can be an astronaut, you can be a civil engineer, or you can be a poet laureate. But if you're not good at math, if you don't develop that in an early age, if you don't get that education, you're really limiting a lot of the potential jobs out there. Yeah, you can be a poet laureate, but if, if you don't know any math, you're probably not going to be an astronaut. Other questions? Thank you for having me. All right, so um, uh, we're all set here. If you want to uh, stick around and, and speak to Mike and ask him a couple of questions, um, that's what this time is for. And we thank you very, very much uh, for attending. We'll have another one coming up next month. Thank you uh, very much. I have business cards up here if you uh, have any career advice questions or school-related ones. Uh, I also have my contact information up here if you're interested. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.